if mystery and tragedy and adventure is your thing, then you're going to love my story. Because I lived my life somewhere between Steinbeck's The Grapes of Wrath and the sinking of the Titanic. My days were without sun and my nights without stars. And my days in every waking moment were just filled with grief and with tears and with immeasurable loss. My name is Job. Maybe you've read my book. It's over in the Old Testament. The book of Job, as we look at it, is about a man who lived in the land of Uz. The Bible tells us at the very beginning that he was an upright man. He was a very prosperous man, incredible businessman. He is a man who had a large family. He had seven sons and three daughters. He was well known in the community, had a great name in the community. In fact, he used to sit at the gate of the city and would give advice to people regarding legal issues when they would come into the city. He was very prominent, very well known, great health. He had land. He had businesses. He had a great future. He was an incredible man, outstanding and admired in the community. But then that changed without warning. There was first the tornado, then there was the lightning, and then there were the Sabaeans and the Chaldeans who came in and raided his livestock, killed all of his servants. And everything went south from there. Seven sons, gone. Three daughters, gone. 6,000 sheep, gone. 3,000 camels, they're all gone. 1,000 oxen, they're gone. 500 donkeys, they're all gone. All of his servants have been murdered And then his health goes bad. He's covered. As you read, he is covered with running sores, boils. He he takes broken pieces of pottery and he goes outside the city gates and he lives at the city dump. And it's there that he takes broken pieces, pot shards, and he scrapes his body just to bring some relief to all of the pain. One of the greatest pains of all was his wife. She came in the midst of her grief and said, Job, Job, why don't you just curse God and die? That was one of the lowest moments of his life. He was visited by three of his buddies, Bildad, Zophar, and Eliphaz, and later there was a young man by the name of Elihu. And they came and They came to console him, but in reality, they just rubbed more salt in his wounds. And when they saw him 
on the ash heap, they couldn't recognize him. He was a skeleton. He was no longer the well-respected man in the community. He's a has-been. He's a nobody. People pass by and sneer at him. He's ridiculed. He's lost everything. And in the midst of it, Job starts this odyssey of asking questions to God. And there's dialogue that takes place between Bildad, Zophar, and Eliphaz and Job. Bildad will speak, Job will answer. Zophar will speak and Job will answer. There's this this dynamics of exchanging and, and they're accusing Job of some great secret sin that if only he would confess it and if only he would acknowledge it and if he'd only repent of it, everything would be better. But Job keeps crying out for God in chapter 10, chapter 11, chapter 12. He keeps, if God would just come down here. If God would come down here, he would answer my questions. And chapter after chapter after chapter, till we get to about chapter 38 and and God shows up. And I can see when, when God shows up that Job's mouth must have just Opened wide, he must have thought, what was I thinking? And God says, Job, you have questions? I got answers. Come with me. And he puts his arm around Job and he takes him to the edge of the universe. And he pulls back the curtain. He said, Job, you see all those stars? All those galaxies? And a universe beyond this? I called out those stars. I made those stars. Job, I named all of those stars. Job, where were you when I did this? And he takes him to the meadow. And he shows the flight of the eagle. And he watches the ostrich as the ostrich bears her young. He takes them down to the river. And he says, Job, I am the one that made the way for the river. And I am the one that sets its boundaries. He takes him to the ocean and he says, Job, do you know where the source of the water comes from the deep? I did that, Job. I did all of this. And I did it for you. And Job, if I can take care of all of that, I can also take care of you. I went back and reread the book of Job in its entirety, just all the way through in one setting. And with my ADD, that takes a lot of effort. I started reading at 3 o'clock in the morning and finished at 5. And as I read the book, I began to realize, I think that we have misread the book of Job. Because I don't think the book of Job is about Job. I think it's about God. And I don't think the book of Job is about tears. I think it's about triumph. I don't think the book of Job is about grief. I think it's about grace. When I look at the book of Job, I see the fingerprints of God all over it. And I see in the book of Job your life and my life. The tragedies that we experience, the pain that we suffer. And often we suffer in silence and so many times we suffer all alone. But God is there. He is there. 
We're in our series of lessons about God and the various names of God. Last week, Clint knocked it out of the park when he talked about a God who could be trusted. And today we look at another name for God that is, that is mentioned some 47, 48 times in the Old Testament. It's used 31 times exclusively in the book of Job. And it is the Hebrew word for God Almighty or Almighty God called El Shaddai. El is the Hebrew word for God. Shaddai in Hebrew means mountain. It means strength. It means provision. It speaks of a God who's all-powerful, who is all-knowing and always present. And sometimes when we are in our pain and our loneliness and we're battling for survival, we forget that you and I, we have access to El Shaddai. Because he whispers to us and he said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I will gather you up like a shepherd gathers the young lamb in his arms. And I will protect you because I'm El Shaddai. In our study, in the Old Testament, there are, there are so many names in the Old Testament that has great significance. You know, names in the Old Testament meant something. They were sometimes prophetic. Sometimes it describes the character or the personality of the individual. And the names that we're looking at describe something of the personality and the character of our God. I went back and I did a study about my my family name, McCarran. And as I studied it, Scotch-Irish. It was an Irishman that was full of Scotch. And as I began to study about our family name, it is McKeachern, it's McCagran, it's McCagran, it's, it's all of the Macs all heaped together. And as I went back and did the research, I found out that the name meant sons of the horseman. Boy, I like that. Sons of the horseman. I come from a long line of equestrians. I mean, guys who can take a horse and train it for parades, for royalty, to go into battle. I mean, I'm telling you, I come, and I want you to remember this, son of the horseman. But as I studied further, they were not equestrians. They were horse thieves. And so our names, and, and if you go back and look at your family names, you may find a little bit more about your ancestors than you, than you want to know. But we, we look at this whole idea of El Shaddai. And what El Shaddai means. And who El Shaddai is. And the fact that, that Job encounters El Shaddai and he keeps asking for El Shaddai and he keeps saying if only he would show up and I could talk with him and I could visit with him, then I would get some answers because of all of my pain and because of all of my loss. There are several scriptures that I want us to look at on the screen and I want to read these passages that will give us some ideas to who our God is. Let's look, first of all, I want it Psalm 139, verses 7 through 10. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, to the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, 
He said, even there, your hand is there. Even there, you will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. That's who our God is. That's who El Shaddai is. Let's look at the next one in chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. Do we have that one? Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. For you have set your glory in the heavens. And though the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against our enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. And when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place. The next one. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. The next one. To whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One. I want to stop there. Who is this God? Who is this El Shaddai? We take shelter in the shadow of his wing. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. He doesn't think like we. He sees the end before the beginning. He has the answers to all things. And, and we watch Job as he's suffering, as he is out on that trash pile, as he's in agony, and he's three men, I call them unemployed pastors. <laughs> because nobody could deal with somebody who is grief-stricken like they are, like he is rather, and would consider to be a pastor. They would not have a job you come along, for example, here's what Eliphaz says on one occasion. He says, you know, Job, blessed is a man on whom God corrects. Wouldn't you love to hear that when you got your back to the wall? Job, you're, you're really blessed. You're a blessed man. Zophar comes along and says, Job, quit asking God all these questions. He's not going to show up. He's not going to provide you any answers, all the mysteries of El Shaddai, and that's true. The mysteries of God are greater than you and I can comprehend. But the nature of the time that you're in grief or when you suffered loss is to ask questions. That's just what we do. I like what Job comes along and says in chapter 13 in verse 3. He says, I desire to speak to the Almighty, El Shaddai, because you guys are just smearing me with your lies and in chapter 13 and 15, it says, Though El Shaddai slay me, yet will I serve him. Now let's go back. Every morning, every morning when Job would get up and he'd look out his kitchen window, he saw ten fresh graves, flowers that are already fading on the headstones. And he looks beyond into the meadows, and there's no livestock. He looks further, and there are no crops. And he looks, and there are no barns. And he says, why? He goes into the bedside of his wife, and she's in the fetal position, and she's just mumbling, and she's so grief-stricken. She's crying out. And he stands by her bedside, and he says, why? He goes out in the evening and he, he looks up into, the, up into the heavens 
and he wants to pray, and the prayer just won't come. All he can say is, why? Why? And so when God shows up, he says, he says Job, let's talk. And I mean, they have a conversation. God pulls back the curtain, and he says, those are my stars. They're my creation. He gives Job a crash course in botany, in biology, in chemistry, in animal husbandry, in oceanography, in topography, in geography, and humanity. He gives him this crash course, and by the time we get to the latter part of the book, Job says, time out, God. I give up. You are great. I understand. I yield, and I'm delighted in your presence, and I'm thankful that you care for me. And then the book comes to a close with a pink bow. And I'm going to let you read that part for yourself. But now let's boil this all down. What does this mean to us? What does El Shaddai mean for us? Here's what it means to me. It means that when I am weary, when I'm bone tired, when I'm exhausted, when I've spent, when I'm burnt out, when I've hit a wall, when my frail boat is taking on water, the sails are ripped, the mast is broken, and the anchor is dragging, I can turn to El Shaddai. There was a time in the life of a great prophet by the name of Jeremiah when Jeremiah comes along and he says, you know, I've got my back to the wall, and God, I don't want him to talk about you anymore. And he says, suddenly your strength comes. And I cannot keep quiet about preaching and teaching your name. I can't tell you how many times when I was preaching in Texas that there were times that I wanted to go to the pulpit on the Sunday morning and just say, not today, I'm sorry. Not today. You can go across and hear the Baptist pastor, or you can go home, but I have nothing to offer today. Today, I'm going to go fishing. But when I walk through that door and I hear my brothers and sisters praising God, suddenly El Shaddai shows up and a sermon is born. El Shaddai. I am thankful that El Shaddai shows up in my life when I'm in pain and when, he's in, when you're in pain. And pain comes in different sizes and in different forms and in different shapes. Sometimes it's emotional, sometimes it's physical. And there have been some sexual pains and, and spiritual pains, but it comes in different ways and in different waves. I'm thankful that, that he is always there. You see, I know of some folks who've come from lousy, passionless, listless, dull, joyless, Insipid marriages, that's pain. I know folks who have come from families that were so disconnected and so chaotic and so dysfunctional. It was a family filled with anger and vindictiveness. 
No forgiveness, no kindness, no love. Had a young lady, a single lady in our church, and she came by, knew that she couldn't stay in a relationship, and, and she couldn't keep a job. And I, I thought, what's wrong with you, girl? But when she came in my office, sat down and told me her story, I heard the story of relentless pain because she came from a family. She had a father who said, you know, you'll never amount to anything. You're just fat and you're ugly. And you'll never amount to anything. And a mother who said, I wish you had never been born. That's pain. And when you are playing those tapes over and over again, constantly, you're in this deep pit of despair and depression, clawing to get out, but there's nothing there. But El Shaddai shows up and says, you're my daughter. You're a daughter of the king. My son died for you. He saved you. I put my spirit within you. I've got your name on the palm of my hand. I've got your picture on my refrigerator. You, you are loved. Don't listen to those voices. Listen to the voice of El Shaddai. I know there are those who are suffering from extreme, excruciating physical pain. Those who are battling daily. Who are just hanging on. For all it's worth, there's that daily litany of medications and doctor visits and doctors who ask too much and hospital gowns that cover too little. And, and that they're experiencing loss. They're experiencing pain. And they need El Shaddai. In East Texas, there is a family... The girl has been in a wheelchair for 30 years. Spina bifida. She is the epitome of joy. She wants to dance and she wants to sing, but she can do neither. Her mother... Ellie is battling cancer. The father has serious heart issues. And I look at pain. And the reason I know that is that the father is my brother. His name is John. And through the years, I have never heard them ever complain and you can only do that when you're relying on El Shaddai, knowing that this is not the end. Knowing that there's something far better out there and that God does love and God takes the circumstances of our life. He takes the dark threads of our life and weaves it into the tapestry of his grace. And we can't see it till one day he unfolds the tapestry and we back away and say, yeah, I get it. I understand it now. I think of my little sister to the left. I think of Hannah. 
Hannah in Hebrew means favor. It means grace. And I don't know whether you've ever noticed or not, but when Mama walks up on this stage and she begins to sing her song, that wheelchair comes to life. There are arms that are just moving and shaking and, and, and in her silence she is worshiping her God. And I believe in my heart of hearts the father stands in the throne room, surrounds himself with the angel and said, that's what worship looks like. Loss and pain. But one of these days my little sister is going to sing her song. I need El Shaddai in my life when I doubt. I know that probably comes strange to you that a pastor would ever doubt. I think until you have passed through the refining fires of doubt, your faith sometimes just doesn't make sense. There have been times that I've struggled with some depression. I found myself like Elijah wondering why. I stepped out of preaching in a local church for about five years and started an organization called Bread for a Hungry World, raised about $2 million, and I went to Ethiopia to try to help in the Ethiopian crisis. North of Addis Ababa, up near the Eritrea region, we had a feeding station of some 40,000 people. We were feeding the people five meals a day. It was the same thing every day. People crying, people searching, people dying, shallow graves. Before the day was over, children would be orphaned because mom and dad would die. Mom and dad would be without children because their kids would die. We would awaken in the morning to the sound of mothers weeping and wailing because their babies had died in the night. Pain. And I remember walking out away from that feeding station Angry, disillusioned, trying to make sense of it all. And I walked to a point overlooking this valley. In the distance, I could see folks coming down through a canyon. I could see the dry riverbed. There was not anything green from that mountaintop. And God and I was having a real, real conversation. Kind of like Job. I said, God, why don't you just show up down here and clean all this up? I heard something to the right of me, and I thought it was the remains of a dead animal. I went over. It was a goat skin. I pulled back the goat skin, and there was a 12-year-old boy there, all alone. When I pulled back the goat skin, his eyes were matted over. He was suffering from core. He was a skeleton. And before help could come, I watched that little boy die alone. And I said, God, why? Why? I boarded a plane three days later. I'd been there about two or three months. Went home, arrived in Dallas on a Saturday night. When I got off of that plane, I probably smelled like a goat. 
But I remember the kids, Sonny was driving, and the kids were asking me all kinds of questions. I was silent. I was suffering from some form of post-traumatic stress because all I could do was weep. I was empty. I'd hit a wall. I was hurting. I told the kids, tomorrow, not tonight. That evening, I got a good shower, slept in my bed. The next morning, just before 6, Sunday starts nuzzling up to me. I thought, oh boy, I'm home. The clock radio came on. This is KLIF. Here's the, here's the morning news. Police in North Dallas are investigating the apparent suicide of a man by the name of Charles Huber. I flinched. Sonny said, did you hear that? I heard it. Charles Huber was our financial planner. I knew before Monday we had lost everything. We'd lost it all. And on top of that, in his suicide note, to rub more salt in the wounds, he asked that I preach his funeral. Pain. There are times when you and I, we struggle with our pain. But Job finds out God is there. God hears. And God understands. And because God is silent does not mean he is not listening. And because he's not moving doesn't mean he's not doing something. Waiting on God is a tough experience. But here's the good news. One of these days, this is it. And John tells us in the book of Revelation that all the redeemed, and I love when John says this at the very beginning, that there will appear before the throne of God people from every tribe, every tongue, and every language, and every nation. And everyone who has washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb. And there's going to be the giving out of the crowns, the victory crowns, those who have endured, those who have remained steadfast. And I believe that we're going to, as a song, we're going to be casting our crowns. I think we're going to lay them at his feet. And I think that we're going to hear El Shaddai with all the angelic horse. And they're going to be there. And the banquet table of the redeemed. The party is just about to begin. And Hannah is going to sing her song. El Shaddai. Let's pray. You know, Father, we have so many questions. We find ourselves like Job. But we're grateful that you are El Shaddai, that you are Almighty God. We thank you, Father, for your faithful presence, even when we doubt, and even in our pain. And Father, when the questions come and we are drowned out with a series of whys, may we praise you forever for being there to dry our tears when we seek to offer up prayers that sometimes just won't come. 
We thank you, O Lord, for your mysterious ways, for surprising us with your presence when we feel so alone. You are our rock and you're our redeemer. You're our refuge. You're our only hope. Father, there's none like you. You have no equal and you certainly have no rival. And so we praise you for never giving up on us, for being our strength when we are weak, when we are confused and questioning and suffering. Take us out and pull back the curtain of eternity and show us again the heavenlies. Take us to the cross and let us look into the eyes of your Son and realize the great depth of your undying love. El Shaddai, we offer up our praise and our hearts to you because there is none like you. In the name of Jesus.